CrowdStrike stops breaches. These days, critical work isn't done from the protection of a corporate network. It happens at cafes, back offices, and at home. New ways of working mean new attacks. New attacks require new defenses. CrowdStrike stops breaches so you can do what you do best. CrowdStrike, we stop so you can go. CrowdStrike is offering Security Weekly listeners 15 days free access to its platform. See how it works at securityweekly.com forward slash CrowdStrike. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome back everyone to Enterprise Security Weekly. Besides Boston is back in action for their 10 year anniversary. The conference will be held on Saturday, September 26th. Tickets are only 10 bucks. You can get yours at besidesbos.org. Some of the Security Weekly team will be in our own channel on the Besides Boston Discord server, answering questions and possibly doing some contest. Uh, contest plural. Corey Williams is the head of identity security marketing at CyberArk and the former vice president of marketing for Adaptive. He joins us today to talk about exploring identity security and its role in the modern enterprise. You can learn more by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash CyberArk. Corey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, Corey, I, I guess for, I wanted to start first uh, talking about CyberArk, Adaptive, what, I mean, we know what CyberArk does largely. Um, uh, Adaptive was uh, just being acquired, I think, when we did a previous interview. And they were like, we're kind of figuring things out. So it's wonderful to have you here today to talk about uh, what Adaptive brings into the CyberArk family. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been very exciting times here uh, for the last few months, getting to know this great CyberArk team. They really uh, have a great reputation in the in the industry, and, and we're finding a ton of synergy. Um, Adaptive is one of the leading technologies. If you look at some of the like analyst rankings, um, we're one of the leading technologies in what's called the uh, access management space or identity as a service, um, providing capabilities like single sign-on, adaptive multi-factor authentication, uh, provisioning, and some other uh, capabilities around mobile context. That's all useful in being able to verify users as they gain access, which made us a great fit with a company like CyberArk because CyberArk you know, is protecting those kind of digital keys to the kingdom um, to access your, you know, your, your privileged accounts and, and, uh, and other privileges in the enterprise. And, and that access needs to be protected through a layer like access management. And, and for many years now, uh, CyberArk has always recommended that as a first step. Um, but they, you know, talking to their customers, um, you know, we, we found that they, uh, in some cases, didn't have that layer, if you can believe it. I heard in your last segment there were still VPNs being protected without MFA. Right. It's a very common thing. And, uh, and so, you know, it made a natural fit that we can offer this if it makes sense, um, you know, to, to the CyberArk customer base. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, this technology is available as a commodity, uh, in certain circumstances, I always use Google as the example, right? 
they're doing it on a very much commodity basis. They're dealing with millions of users. Uh, you know, anyone in the public can go sign up for a Gmail account, for example. And you get some of this technology as part of that, right? If you log into your Gmail from a different machine or a different IP address, it goes, whoa, wait, we need your password. We need your two-factor authentication and things like that. What I believe adaptive technology brings to the table in the CyberArk portfolio is the ability to customize this for all of your applications in the enterprise and integrate fully so your users get the full benefits of this technology. Did I capture that correctly? Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, we all know that multi-factor authentication is one of the best ways to prevent a stolen password from being used against you. Um, unfortunately, a study just came out uh, uh, from the Identity Defined Security Alliance that talked to hundreds of enterprises. Um, There's still, you know, 95% of them have seen a breach um, related to identity. And uh, in the last couple of years, three quarters of those enterprises have seen an identity-related breach. And by far, two-thirds of those breaches started as a phishing attempt, which means that they're still depending on passwords alone to protect assets and access. And that's that's just a, a, uh, a, a big issue for enterprises. And they enterprises have, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of applications that their end users use. And if right. we did the kind of commodity route, you'd have a different multi-factor authentication experience for every one of those apps if you adopted it. Mm. And that's just untenable for an enterprise to ask their end users to manage, you know, a dozen different multi-factor authentication experiences. It's just not, uh, it's not a good user experience. Mm. Matt? As John was dropping off to, between segments, he was, you know, he made the little joke that, you know, CyberArk makes his life difficult. And from a privileged access perspective, if deployed correctly, it prevents the penetration testers from getting into those systems. What I think is really interesting, Corey, is what Adaptive can now potentially do for those CyberArk customers is make it hard for all access, not just mm. privileged access. And see, this is where I knew mm. the market would eventually go, and, and it's great to see this because we have to protect our normal users just as much as we do our privileged access accounts to, to your point, to prevent these breaches from happening with, with stolen credentials. Uh, so, you know, maybe we can get these organizations to make it difficult for the pen testers across the board. Yeah, I mean, listen, we all know that multi-factor authentication is a great way to mitigate against a stolen password. But it does put friction into the user's uh, experience. And it's one of the reasons Adaptive's name is a combination of identity and adaptive. You need to have a much smarter approach than just continually prompting someone for an extra factor or two of authentication. I mean, listen, you guys are the experts, right? But security, in my mind, is easy. Just unplug everything from the internet and, and light it on fire, and, mm. and we won't have any more breaches. Mm -hmm. But it drives productivity to zero. <laughs> and I think that's why you need to um, uh, you know, focus on how you can, especially with end users. It's one thing to put a little extra friction in front of an IT admin, and they just kind of are used to it as part of their job, part of the regulatory requirements and hurdles that they have to jump over. But from a business user point of view, you can't be constantly prompting them. So what Adaptive does is by centralizing that experience, we can give them a broad range of factor choices that give them a experience that is easy for them, like Windows Hello or Touch ID or a YubiKey factor. Those are all stronger authentication mechanisms than a password alone. But we can also apply uh, machine learning algorithms to learn what a typical behavior pattern is for that user and only 
you know, and then use that to determine the risk level of that access attempt. And if it's a lower level risk, I'm, I'm accessing the same app I do that's not real high risk at the same time of day, then maybe I don't need to prompt them at all. And we can use something like single sign-on to give them a passwordless experience right to their app. And I think that that balance is, is what is new in identity and access management. Um, all this innovation is leading up to a balance by keeping the risk levels low or addressing uh, introducing risk only when the risk is high introducing friction only when the risk is high. Mm. And is the goal to be passwordless, Corey? I know you mentioned that well, earlier. We didn't yeah. really you know, talk about that that much. And I know there's a, a lot of uh, solutions out there that are really pushing passwordless hard. It sounds like your approach is very much like you're in control over what happens when the user signs in and how they're challenged, right? Correct. And, um, you know, passwordless is it's one of those terms, it, you know, us marketing guys, right? We get on mm -hmm. a roll and we start labeling everything. Um, passwordless kind of has two meanings in my mind. One is the kind of strict, we're going to get rid of passwords. We're going to use alternate mechanisms of authentication that are more uh, ephemeral, token-based, key-based, things that don't require a secret. Um, but we, you, you, we know, we're technology experts. We've been around for, 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 you know, for a long time. A any technology you build is going to be around for 40, 50 years. You can't get rid of passwords. What you can do is eliminate the password as the vulnerability mechanism mm. by introducing these better experiences for end users that obfuscate or hide or proxy that password with additional layers of authentication that uh, are in that passwordless realm where you don't have to remember a secret. And the, the real goal in all of your authentication and authorization is to cover as much as possible. When I talk to pen testers and they're like, oh, yeah, it's great. Like they had multi-factor authentication, but there was this other service that accesses the same directory service and that didn't have multi-factor. And therefore, we can password spray that all day long, right? Um, what right. advice do you have for your customers and potential customers to make sure they're covering all of their services? Because that's very important in the context of this discussion. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, you know, uh, hackers are smart, right? The, the, the attackers are, are going to follow the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. It's like water flowing downhill. They're going to go right where the vulnerability is, um, right where that crack is. And it's almost always going to be through a, a password gate alone. They, it's it's too much work to go another route. My, my, son, and, my uh, son did this to me the other day. I, I said, you know, if you want to get bypass the parental controls to get more time, I'm like, you, you can hack your way in and you won't be in trouble for that, right? And so he picks up my wife's phone. He knew her passcode, goes into the management software, it enables more time on his computer, and he's off to the races. I'm like, dude, you win. Like, you, you win the internet for today, right? Because that's, yeah. that's what attackers do. I'm like, you sure you yep. don't want to be in this industry? Because, like, you got the right mindset for it, right? Yeah. For all the layers of security that we develop, it's like building stronger and stronger uh, bars for the windows. Mm. And everyone's just walking through the door that's that's, you know, has a lightly uh, guarded key. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that I think that it, like, we've got to keep the uh, beating this mantra uh, of, of uh, access management. Um, but we've got to do it in a way that doesn't um, that, that a provides the level of security you need for the business. But B, not only does it not put an unneeded amount of friction in front of end users, it actually becomes an enabling technology for the new business. I mean, identity mm. is at its heart does have a lot to do with controlling access and who should be allowed to do what and when. But really what identity is about in the long term 
is about enabling great experiences, right? Having a seamless experience, navigating different applications, being able to feel like as a customer of an application, right? I want to make sure I feel that this is a secure place to trust my personal data. And I think I think that that is as much the goal of identity as it is uh, uh, as it is security. It's to balance um, the the productivity and the security. It's to balance the user experience uh, and the risk level, and mm. and to break that teeter totter where we always felt like we had to make one choice or the other. Mm. Yeah. And and I think the environment that we're in makes this even more important for us to get right, because now we have a lot of users working from home that are logging into systems, and we've lost some of those centralized controls that we used to have in place. So, I mean, identity is playing a much bigger role in the way we're not only going to work in the future, but also how do we secure ourselves in this concept of a zero trust model? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought up zero trust because I do think it it outlines a really uh, interesting way to frame the discussion Um, because we talk a lot about identity in terms of the end user. Um, and, and his ability to log into something, right? Um, and you want to do a good job of validating or of verifying who that user is. And that's why we use things like multi-factor authentication, why we try to reduce the use of passwords. Um, but there's more to it than that. So with zero trust, you want to know, reduce the attack surface to just the people who should have access, but also reduce the attack surface from every device on earth down to just the devices that should be used in your organization. I think uh, Google did something called Beyond Corp, uh, which was a precursor mm. to sort of modern day zero trust from a from an identity perspective. And the second element of that is to uh, val- validate every device so that you know that that device is associated with that end user. Uh, the way that Adaptive does it is we put a certificate on that device and, and associate it with the end user, but also determine the security posture of that device so that it can be used as a contextual element in access. Are they using a trusted registered device? Okay, we give them access. Otherwise, we don't. And that has that's transparent to the end user, but it adds a great level of security. Um, and then if you combine that with the privilege side, right? if you look at ransomware or most malware, it's targeting the local administrator privilege. They're trying to elevate their access so that they get freer reign to jump off of that box into other areas. And uh, and so if you can lock down that local admin, take it out of the hands of the user and provide just back the controls that they need to do things like add printers or install applications, um, then, 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 you, then you have a, a, a device that's secure and you can trust that 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 access is being done by the right person. So it's a combination of, of device level capability and security and uh, end user security to give you that true zero trust approach, uh, at least for the you know employees of an enterprise. Yeah, I think the user experience, when we talk about the benefits of a physical token versus an authenticator app versus SMS, right? I mean, there's some, I think some pretty fine lines in the sand, right? Between those three different mechanisms. And yeah. I think the physical token has a far more security benefits, but as you, you know, I like the, the teeter-totter, right? Uh, when you talk about usability, not so much. If I have to have my physical token every time I log in to every single different service, I'm like, wait, where did I put that? Where is it now? Now it's upstairs. It do, how do I get on my phone? NFC doesn't work with you know OS update on Android, blah, 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 blah. It's a huge inconvenience. I mean, I've been there with YubiKey trying to make it work with my various services, right? And what you end up with is more physical tokens, right? Which I don't know if that, I think you uh, take a hit on the security side for a little more usability there, but it's a pain in the butt. We want to remove that friction from the user 
to, as you said, give them a, a, a better experience so that um, it knows that Paul is Paul. And I guess my question is what, uh, from the adaptive side, what can be measured and incorporated into the uh, basically proving that the person is who they say they are? Yeah, and that's where context comes into play. Part of it is the token that they use, and there are mm -hmm. different levels of assurance, and NIST has done a good job of outlining those, right? So something like a YubiKey is much better than right. a one-time password code for, that's sent over SMS or generated from a, a, an oath token. I, I think that... Uh, um, the, the the key is to take the level of assurance that you're getting in terms of the, the, the factors that you get, but also look at the context. Um, and being contextually aware is the big breakthrough in identity and access management. That's where hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent to apply algorithms to understand the location of the device, uh, the posture of the device, mm -hmm. um, the understanding of, of, of what a user's normal behavior is, when he typically accesses something, when is the last time he accessed something. Um, you heard about uh, like the impossible traveler, mm -hmm. right? So I'm using an application in New York, but 15 minutes later, I'm logging into something from London. That doesn't make any sense. Um, and so all of those contextual factors, you can write rules for those. It becomes very difficult, though, to write rules that apply to uh, every individual employee because uh, a guy working at headquarters, well, first of all, now he's working at home. Um, well, a guy working from home in, in, in uh, finance is probably not traveling up and down the, the East Coast like a sales guy is. And so you end up needing something like a machine learning AI-based approach to learn the individual patterns of each user. Um, and there are standalone products that do that. You've, mm -hmm. you've probably heard of user behavior analytics type of applications, but those tend to give you a static score that you can then import into an access management system. They're not practical to call in real time, mm. especially if you're trying to reduce the latency like in an automation environment. Um, because identity, as you know, as and back to your original point, that identity controls need to be put in place everywhere, not just for a certain silo of the organization and not just for human users. There's also non-human actors all over the place. All of these automation scripts that we put in to, to, to manage the systems uh, or to do uh, process automation, robotic process automation. Um, all of the applications have layers that have to call each other. APIs have to call each other. And they have all the same access characteristics that an end user does. Is, you know, is, is, is this a, a caller that I can trust? And what is the context of this call? And what is the history mm -hmm. of this? And, you know, and, and we, we try to do that by segmenting everything down to the narrow narrowest layer, but we always miss something. And so it's better to have a layer that can learn what a typical behavior is in the automation and, and, and apply it that way. Yeah, because Corey, how do you deal with the situation where I might be in New York, but now I remotely access a server in London and I'm logging into something, right? You, you need a system to manage and know that that's happening, that it's not Paul actually being in two places at once. I mean, I am virtually, but the system knows that, right? And can broker that, that access. Yeah. And I think so the, the how you react to it is not just allow or block. Right. You can have a nuance. It may be that, hey, this is an unusual situation. I haven't seen it before. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what I want to do is reauthenticate you. I want to step up authentication, ask you to provide um, a, 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 another or a better level of assurance that is who you say you are. And that's going to be based a lot on the risk of the of what you're trying to access. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, I think that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is, is that you got to close the loop in other areas. Maybe it's enough to just continue letting them to do their work. But now I'm going to send a notification now to 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 the you know to the sock monitors so that they can uh, uh, look into whether or not that user should uh, have what they said. 
know, what they're asking for. And so I think it, it, I think that the, you kind of have to look at those use cases, decide what the risk is to your business, and then respond appropriately. And, and so you want to look for environments that don't just measure the risk, but also allow you to configure the result uh, of that risk level. As it gets higher, you can put more friction in front of the user, you can block access, or you can kick off other workflows to remediate it. We've gone so far as to see people, um, you know, hey, the obvious case, right? Someone accesses with a password from China from a device I've never seen before, uh, accessing an app that I haven't used in three months. I'm going to block access. I'm, I'm also going to go back to Active Directory and lock his account until I find out what's going on. And that automation is important. So the automation logic is a, is a big piece of how we should be moving our, our, uh, our logic from writing rules to detect situations to writing the responses to these different use cases and how to appropriately defend them. Yeah, and I think what's important that you kind of describe, Corey, is those responses are going to vary based on mm -hmm. lots of different factors. Because we've all we all know what happens when you shut off the account, you lock the AD account, and it happens to be the CEO of the company because he, you know, <laughs> didn't you know we all get in trouble for those, right? So you've got to have some level of configurability <clears throat> to make those rules appropriate for the different scenarios, because one size definitely does not fit all in when it comes to automated remediation. Yeah, and as you put more um, sophistication into your authentication layer, you also want to do a better job of delivering a, a level of self-service so that users can, for instance, um, register the factors that they want to use. You know, maybe they, maybe they do like everything tied to a Google Authenticator and you're okay with, with that being used. They should be able to register that with the environment or with the YubiKey or with uh, their own device for like Windows Hello or Touch ID. So that's one element. Um, part of that self-service is also being able to do things like, um, uh, you know, self-service uh, password reset, uh, account unlock. You know, a lot of these um, uh, accounts. Well, I, I, I do it just because I want to test the thing, but everyone always lets their password run out and now they've locked themselves out and it becomes a help desk ticket. W you know, with, with a solution like this, you should be able to just go in, log in, and it'll ask you for some of those extra factors of authentication and unlock your account kind of in real time so that it's seamless to the end user. Um, but that, uh, you know, that you're, but you're forcing them through a level of friction that's appropriate for that situation. Cause if the CEO's account does get compromised and, uh, you legitimately lock his account and ask him to do something. Yeah, it's inconvenient, but that's that's the level of decision you've made for that business. That hey, the CEO has been hacked. It makes sense to cut off some of his access until we find out what's going on. So you really have to balance that. And and this is an issue. Um, without these usability features, you're not going to get buy-in from the leadership team uh, across the board. And so you bring up the, the, an excellent point. Once we start to move these controls outside of just IT and to the end user. You've got to have a way of rolling it out smoothly, of being able to let users have a lot of self-service and visibility into their own environment. Um, and I think that a lot of uh, uh, consumer-based companies have done this well. Um, I know personally that Yahoo, you know, after that terrible mm -hmm. breach, I'm still a Yahoo user, but I almost left them because it was such an egregious uh, uh, breach that they allowed it to happen. Uh, but they ended up responding with a pretty good self-service experience for multi-factor authentication. Uh, Google's always had a fairly good one uh, available. Um, not every, but then there's not companies every bank, like E-Trade that yeah. has a terrible experience. Yeah. You have to like, wife, carry around uh, a soft token and stuff. My wife, you know, at the bank, sometimes she loses it because, yeah. it, again, yeah. it creates too much friction. And with her work, too, she has to bring me in and we get to a point and I'm like, 
I know you hate it when I say this, but you're going to have to call the help desk. Like, I can't help you. Like, they need to, yeah. I can't unlock your account without unlawfully yeah. breaking into your, your company, which would be bad. Yeah, yeah. You don't do that. I don't have permission. <laughs> you're going to have to call the help desk. I'm sorry. And she hates that. Yeah. Yeah, and that is that is the big conundrum that has to be solved by security. We can't be security for security's sake. We have to be security to enable the business to become more, uh, you know, to operate faster and with more confidence. So it is a balance. Yep. Yeah, it, my biggest challenge these days is my biometric phone. It went to Face ID, and it doesn't recognize your face when you're wearing a mask. So it just created more friction for yeah. me. So. Yeah, the I mask. I was glad that. Go ahead. I was just saying the mask is troubling. Mine recognizes when I have a cigar in my mouth, which is convenient. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine, mine, you know, uh, it, it, this is not a laundry day, but on laundry day, I'm always wearing a hat. So I'm, I'm glad that it recognizes me with a hat on. Mm. Um, you know, I think that, uh, uh, you know, one of the keys to, to look at this in the CyberArk is, the, is sort of known for privilege access management, right? They invented the space. They're the leaders in that, the only public company in the space, um, uh, standalone company. Um, and what they, the realization with, with kind of looking at broader identity security is that all users end up becoming privileged at some point during mm -hmm. the day. Certain level um, of privilege, and, right? Yep. And uh, yeah, I mean, think about all the line of business people in an enterprise that do privilege elevated things. They uh, they are granting access to Salesforce. They are running a report for the CEO. Those aren't done by a typical IT admin. They're done by the business analysts that actually run the business. And uh, and those are all privileged things. I mean, even posting on Twitter, if you think about it, it's a privileged it's a privileged uh, activity because I'm I'm speaking on behalf of the company. And we know what happens when you when 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 those get out of hand. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, Twitter is a great example that we now know that that insider, you know, had access to these kind of support level tools that allowed them to do some account takeovers. And it, it was it was uh, you know something that ended up being a a you know not a typical IT privileged use case. It was a business privileged use case, and so I think kind of thinking about privilege in a broader way is a is one way of doing it. It's at least a way to bridge the minds of people in security and IT when they start thinking beyond just the you know outsourced IT third party vendors and IT admins um, from a privileged point of view. Matt, more questions for Corey? No, I'm good. Thank you. Corey, anything else you want to share with uh, the audience today? Yeah, I mean, I think just to sum it up, you know, we I appreciate the time. It's, it's this is a perfect discussion. Um, I do think that the swim lanes are starting to blur a little bit in identity, but I think it's less about pure consolidation, and I think it's more about the realization that we need to have a comprehensive approach to identity security. Identity security, at the end of the day, is about being contextually aware, as we talked about, having a security mindset when you do identity things, but balancing that user experience uh, so that you are enabling the business, not just being the department of no and high mm -hmm. friction, um, but that you're adding friction that makes sense. I personally don't mind when I get a fraud alert from Chase saying, hey, is this really you that uh, made this purchase at this gas station you've never been at? I like That gives me a, a sense of peace of mind. Um, I'm glad they didn't make me go inside to, to you know, to, to, to uh, have to unlock the credit card first, um, but they had the appropriate level response to the risk level that was there. And, and I think that that uh, adaptive behavior, that more automatic behavior is the future of identity and access. Um, and that's what I'm excited about 
having worked in this for you know uh, 15 years, and now with a, a great company like CyberArk, I'm excited to see how we can take this identity security vision, um, you know, all, all the way uh, over the next few years. Fantastic, Corey. Thank you so much for appearing on Enterprise Security Weekly. Our listeners can find out more at securityweekly.com forward slash cyberarc. With that, we'll take a short break and come back with Braden from Mimecast. Stay tuned. <laughs> 